What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Savers, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, with no new signings or trades to report, why don't we take a look at the big picture for the Sabres today? Specifically, I'm talking about their cup window. We've recently, and just in general over the years of this podcast, have talked about the importance of teams maximizing their cup windows by winning when you have star players signed to team-friendly contracts. The importance of this goes without saying, but for the sake of our discussion today, the reason why this is so important is because it gives you roster flexibility that you won't have when the time comes for said star player to need a new deal. This doesn't always have to apply to the very best player on your team. It can include impactful young players on ELCs or star players who are maybe even making a couple million less on their AAV than what they're actually worth. You can look at the list of cup winners over the years to find guys on pretty much every single team. So like, let's look at the last four, for example. Vegas, of course, has a lot of money tied up in some of their star players, but are they able to win a cup if Shea Theodore isn't making $5.2 million per year? The Avalanche win the cup the year prior with Nathan McKinnon making $6.3 million per year. And while they still had a fine regular season last year, once McKinnon's AAV pretty much doubled, they had a handful of cap casualties, and it just led to that team really not looking the same on the ice. Tampa Bay, they had Braden Point for both of their cups at a $6.75 million AAV. Tampa's first cup saw Sergachev and Sorelli both on their ELCs, and then their initial extensions the following season for the second cup came in at $4.8 million a year. Sergachev now is making over $8 million, and Sorelli, I believe, is just shy of making $7 million. And then on top of that, too, that's not even to mention that Andre Vasilevsky was making $3.5 million per year when they won their first cup. So bringing this back into the Sabres, the Burrs are in a unique position to capitalize on this with both Tage Thompson and Dylan Cousins signing team-friendly deals for the next seven years. Both guys will be in their early 30s and still productive at the time of their extensions being up, but you're getting incredible value during their prime years. You also have Alex Tuck making $4.75 million over the next three years. Now, you have seemingly big extensions on the way for Power and Dalene, which are probably going to get worked out this offseason, so we'll know more on that, I would say, in the very near future. But it remains to also be seen what extensions for guys like Levi, Quinn, Paterka, and Krebs, what they'll get over the next one to two years. However, you'll also have young players like Savoy, Benson, Kulik, Rosean, and Ostland on ELCs as you are firmly in your cup window. So, Taylor, all of that being said, my question for you and our topic for today's episode, given what we know about maximizing windows through team-friendly deals and with Tage and Cousins signing what appear to be very team-friendly deals, to what degree do the Sabres have to win the Stanley Cup in the next seven seasons, and what does a realistic time frame for getting the job done look like to you? So I think yes is the answer. And I think you gave some good examples there of the recent past, but I think this phenomenon basically goes back to the beginning of the salary cap, which is 05. And you could say maybe that doesn't hold as true for the first two. Carolina's kind of random and then Anaheim. I don't even know what their situation is like, but Detroit wins the cup in 08. They definitely have Dodzuk, Lidstrom, and Zetterberg for less money than they were worth. And then you have the Penguins. You could say the same thing for them, for their star players. And then after that, I think even the better example is the Bruins and the Blackhawks. They always, like Bergeron, always underpaid. Uh, guys like before Kane and Taze got their extensions, super underpaid. Duncan Keith, probably underpaid for his whole career uh, until the end of it. Hosa's AAV was lower than it should be because his contract was supposed to go till like, checking my watch right now. I think his contract was supposed to just end this last year. Uh, so these guys are always, always, you had for the best team, someone that was underpaid. And I think the 
the counter example is a team that got a bunch of star players and then paid them either what they were worth or slightly more, and that's the Leafs. And boy, are things not going super well over there. So, yeah, I agree. And I think the Blackhawks example is even almost an example slash counter example. Kane and Taze get their extensions. They kick in in 2015. They haven't won a playoff series since. The Blackhawks did not win a playoff series in the second half of Kane and Taze's career. All the success they had was in their first half. And for reference to both of those guys were making 6.3 million per year when they won the cup in 2015. Yeah. Yes. And now it's over. Well, now it's, it's over, over the contract. They ended up getting up to 10. Yeah. So that was, yeah. So if you want to just recap real quick, what it was like with them, it was conference final Stanley cup, two close first round losses, Stanley cup, conference final Stanley cup. And then the extensions kicked in and it's first round, first round, and then missed the playoffs a bunch to where they are now. So like that's, this thing is, is it's a real phenomenon. And like one this. other, well, one other thing I want to add on your point about the penguins too, the 2016, 2017 penguins, which of course is the, the second half of their back-to-back cups. They had eight entry level contracts on that cup winning roster. Yeah. That's the penguins basically went from like, damn, we really wasted Crosby and Malkin's primes to, they just had these really, this really great group of guys coming out of the AHL, even though they never picked in the first round. And, and it's like, all of a sudden they're all up at once, like Gensel and Rust and even Connor Sherry was useful to them in some ways. So yeah, they, they're another good example there. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's basically how it goes generally. I mean, obviously you have to pay your stars to some extent, but it helps to have at least a couple of guys under their market value. And that's what the Sabres have. So I think a, se- a separate thing here is people are going to think it's insane. We're talking cup because the Sabres haven't made the playoffs yet. So I agree, but think about all the people we just talked about. They had all their most important players before they made the playoffs. And I think you have to kind of know ahead of time. Well, that maybe they didn't know for sure the Blackhawks in 2008 or whatever, that they were going to win the cup in two years, but it was a strong possibility. And they also, like the other teams we're mentioning here, they went out to make some moves to really solidify that. Uh, three separate teams on here went out to get Marion Hosa. Maybe the Sabres look into that. Yeah. Uh, but, he looks great, man. Did you see that picture with him and his kids? Yeah. Taking the rounds? So, Good Lord. When he retired. He didn't have to retire because of his performance, and he wasn't like a huge drag on them. He had a skin condition or something. It was a weird oh. thing. Seems to be keeping in pretty good shape these days. That's for sure. My God. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the answer is basically yes, because of all that evidence we laid out. It's not impossible. So if you look at seven years from now, it's saying they're resigned Tage. Tage will be in his 30s. Power will only be 28. Dalina will only be 30. So these guys won't be like super old or anything like that seven years from now, even though we will. Uh, you have you still have guys like even like Quinn, Paterka, like even Benson, Savoy, Kulik. These guys will not be that old. It'll just be hard to have any depth. If all those guys pan out the way we want to, it'll be hard to have depth uh, because it's not easy uh, to fill in around guys that are getting, are getting paid a lot of money. The other thing is, is it's always uh, up to them, I guess, to go forward at the deadline if you're doing well. And I think we've seen with multiple teams, Tampa, recently Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh probably over the last 10 years, you don't pick in the first round a lot. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're, if you're that level of good. Totally. I think that it also, you know, you kind of just touched on the two points there of how you're able to build around your depth there. And it, it comes down to two ways. One is drafting well. And seemingly the Sabres have been doing a pretty good job of that so far. Obviously, it's going to remain to be seen how some of the guys that they've taken beyond the first round are going to end up panning out. But 
all things considered, I think that generally speaking, the Sabres are in probably as good a spot as they've ever been when it comes to the quality of their uh, their draft classes and also just, uh, again, how they're going about targeting players. So that's huge because, again, having guys on ELCs and, and to lower end contracts, it is integral to being able to win a cup because it just gives you, you know, high end depth that you otherwise wouldn't have. The other side of that, which is what you can look to teams like Tampa and Colorado for is once you kind of establish yourself as one of those perennial contenders, those winning teams, it makes it so much easier to go out and get some of those depth players and getting them to stick around and getting them to sign more team friendly deals as well to kind of add to that. Now, in the case of Tampa, I know that probably at least these days uh, isn't the, the best example to use for them going out and getting uh, their depth players, a.k.a. like Tanner Janot, and that just being a spectacular failure. But if you look at during their cup runs, the guys who are on their team and in their in their bottom six and just in general, like moves that they've made for bringing guys in and being able to retain them for reasonable salaries. I mean, again, it's like, yeah, of course I want to go to Tampa and have a chance to win a cup every season. And the same goes for Colorado with being able to get those guys who, you know, maybe are looked at as reclamation projects initially or just guys who have good reputations around the league but aren't exactly star players like being able to go out and either identify those guys get those guys and get good return uh, you know not give up a ton for them but on top of that being able to find those guys and retain them for less than what they would be worth on the open market it's huge and and really the first step of that as we've been saying is winning like it's such a common sense thing but more than, you know, the vibes and and all of that other stuff that gets involved that of course matters is an important what is going to make players want to come to Buffalo more than anything else is winning and knowing that they can come here and win knowing that they can come here and year after year they are going to be a part of a, a Stanley Cup contender. So Let's get a little bit more into this now, Taylor. I, I had mentioned at the end of my question there, talking about timeframes a little bit. So you have three more years of talk on his current contract at that 4.75 number, which I think we can both agree is a, a really nice number there for the Sabres. On top of that, you are seemingly at that point going to have, not seemingly, you are definitely going to have Jeff Skinner's $9 million coming off the books. Three years from now, depending on who ends up making the roster this season, you could still be looking at the last year of or even like in the middle of guys like Ostland or Rosean or uh, I think Savoy and Benson will and Kulik will probably all be up by that point. But you still may be looking at those guys being on ELCs at that point. So as far as like a time frame goes, I know it's, it's very difficult to predict this. And, you know, this could change in an instant. Like we're, we're putting this episode out on Tuesday and if the Sabres, you know, make some blockbuster trade or something on Thursday, that obviously can drastically change things. But given the makeup of the roster right now, the core pieces that are currently in place, who they have coming on the way, what do you think is a realistic time frame, Taylor, for them to be a legitimate, solidified, not playoff contender, but Stanley Cup contender and eventually get over the hump to do the thing and win it all? Well, goalie, <laughs> that's a big thing. Of course. That's it starts with that, but if they want to be a real Stanley Cup contender, more so than just a playoff contender, then they have to play a better team defense. And I think that starts with yeah, so there's some goaltending issues, no doubt. And you can solve that not easily, but simply by having better goaltending. 
easy. Uh, and then you just you look at the penalty kill, and hopefully they're going to make some changes to that this year because the penalty kill was a disaster last year. All right, so that's two things. But then you really have to look at the makeup of the roster and see, like, are these guys going to be able to shut down opposing teams' top lines? Something you got to be able to do. You got to have good defensive forwards and and good depth guys. And I, I don't know. I guess that's the big. That's going to be the big question. Maybe they have to make some trades in the future. But I think part of this is you do have to make the playoffs. It's a walk before you run thing. You mm-hmm. make the playoffs and you find out what you're missing. And don't overreact to small sample size things like, oh, we uh, we got goalied. Now we need to trade Jack Quinn or something like yeah. that. You don't do something like that. But let's say you're like New Jersey this year. New Jersey, really good, 110-point team. It's not overreacting to a small sample size to say that uh, they were a disaster against the Hurricanes, and they needed to make some real changes because of that. And so they definitely got better this offseason, I would say, mm-hmm. and they're still going to be good. But, yeah, that, that was their first crack at seeing, like, hmm, how do we fare in the playoffs? So it'll depend. Maybe, who knows, maybe eight, eight nine months from now, team defense is way different. Jack Quinn comes back and – he even improves on that, and they did resign their three best defensive forwards. And then who knows? Maybe Clifton and Johnson replacing Yoki Haru and Bryson in the lineup ends up being a really good thing. And now all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we do have good team defense. Nice. So let me rephrase, I guess, my my question there. Then, do you think it's a possibility that the Sabers? I, I shouldn't even say. Do you think it's a possibility? Should the Sabers be in a position to? be a legitimate Stanley cup contender by the end of Alex Tuck's current contract. I would say they should. And I, I know again, like I said earlier, it sounds crazy that they made the playoffs, but when you're good, sometimes these things move really quick. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know we were terrible two years ago. I think a good example is the avalanche, right? Because even though it took them a couple of years to win the cup, they were a cup contender in 2020. I think everyone thought that in the playoffs, they lost to game seven. Uh, I believe Anton Q. Dobin got hot against them. And then it's like, what are you going to do? Can't stop Anton Q. Dobin and my dude, Kivi Ranta. So like, yeah, so what happens? You lose a game seven, but they were real contenders in 2020. Well, in 2017, they were one of the worst teams of all time. Mm-hmm. They had like 48 points. Like in terms of non-expansion teams, that's one of the worst seasons ever. And they made the playoffs the next year, but they got to do that in kind of a soft West. And, you know, with, with a lot of their pieces already around. And then, Two years later, they were in the second round. And then the year after that, in 2020, they were a real contender. 2021, same thing. Happened to lose a game six or seven in the second round. I don't remember. But to a really good team in Vegas. And then 2022, they won the cup. So, yeah, I think the Sabres could easily be cup contenders in a couple of years. And I think that's not just because of the Avalanche example. It's because they have the pieces to do that. And you say Tuck runs out in 26? Uh, yes. The last year of his deal is the 25, 26 season. Yeah. So they absolutely could be. And I guess they should be, I should say, if we want to have high standards here. Let me, while we're just talking about contracts and all that fun stuff, let me throw another little question at you here. Who has the highest AAV of the four young guys who I mentioned, whose contracts are going to be up uh, over the next two seasons in Quinn, Paterka, Krebs and Devin Levi. Quinn. Rank them. Quinn, Levi, Paterka, Krebs. I think I can get behind that. That's kind of where I'm leaning as well. Yeah, I, I'm Levi is just so hard to tell. I mean, who knows? It might be higher, but I just Quinn has done it at the NHL level now. Like last year was really impressive, especially the second half of the year. 
So I, I guess I'd have the most faith in him. I mean, I think Levi's going to be really good, but who knows what his, you know, real first uh, non-entry level contract looks like. Sure. That's, that's kind of up in the air. And just to give also then, the context for that as well, sorry to interrupt, but just so people know too, in case you were unaware, Peyton Krebs, he is eligible for an extension this offseason as he is a restricted free agent at the conclusion of this year. Paterka, Quinn, and Levi are RFAs at the conclusion of the 24-25 season. We'll be up for new deals then. Good for them. That's going to be them. interesting. They gotta, they're going to have to, obviously a lot to figure out, but – yeah, that it's going to be interesting because they, the three guys they resigned this offseason on the forward side are all one year deals, and then Eric Johnson's also one year deal. So, they're going to be busy again next offseason. Certainly will. So as it stands now, Taylor, I mean, we had talked about on our last couple of episodes again just what it means for this team with the additions of Johnson and Clifton, as you mentioned there. I think Clinton obviously presents you the most high upside opportunity there as you're getting a guy who, yes, he's 28 years old and is kind of firmly in, uh, you know, the best years of his career right now, I guess we can say in terms of like peak performance, Eric Johnson, obviously 35 years old right now. You haven't signed for a one year deal here. Clifton, you have for three more years. Uh, How much do you think that signing Connor Clifton though, to be, Owen Powers partner has left something to be desired for you. Like, do you think that Adams was aggressive as he should have been in making that and making those moves? Hmm. It's hard to say what he tried to do versus what got done. Uh, I don't think Clifton's a bad choice. I mean, Eric Johnson, I didn't think they were going to have a second defenseman. So the Eric Johnson one is almost like, uh, I want to say found money, but like I was surprised by it anyway, but yeah, it makes sense. Veteran leadership. Someone to play the penalty kill Clifton. Yeah. The guys we were talking about were better than Clifton, but I wouldn't say I don't, I dislike the Clifton idea of it all because there's also, like I said, with all the guys on one year deals, there's the opportunity to remake this again next off season and move Clifton to third pairing and then go forward again with a guy, or even at the deadline this year, if, if someone becomes available, a right-handed D becomes available and it's, like you move Clifton to play with Stillman or something like that. Sure. And in fact, I think aren't, and who knows who will be here when the season starts, Bryson, Yoki, Haru, Lipchushkin, Stillman, Eric Johnson, aren't they all free agents? Yes. Yeah. The and only Dalene and power need contracts too. Basically the only guy that signed for any length of time is Samuelson, Samuelson on the back end. Yep. And you have three more years of Clifton. Yeah. I think it's oh, an Clifton. Yeah. I think it's an interesting point though, that you alluded to earlier in it's something that we see people talk about a lot, you know, what actually got done versus what Adams maybe tried to do or what, you know, I, I don't think we've heard a, a whole lot this off season so far yet about swings and misses that, you know, guys that Adams tried to go after and then he just didn't end up getting. But what I will say though, is that given the fact that they are entering into this window, given how they looked last season and what you're expecting from them this coming year, the, the very obvious holes that they have on the roster where, you know, it's not like you're trying to scramble together and you're trying to fill like four or five different holes. Like in reality, there's like two that you like absolutely needed to fill coming into this off season. For me, I feel as though I'm in the very uh, early ish stages of kind of getting like a little bit tired of talking about, oh, well, we don't know what Adams like tried or this or that or the other. It it, it kind of feels like more and more, at least for me, that like I'm getting to a point of 
he's just got to go out and make something happen. Like, yeah, maybe you didn't get to sign anybody in like the UFA market, but like, what's preventing you from making a trade right now? What's preventing you from making a hockey trade? What's preventing you from using the wealth of young players and, and prospects and picks that we have to go out and make yourself better now and into the future? We've talked about a little bit before, like with the Chekrin thing, for example, from last season, where it's like, oh, well, you know, Ottawa wanted more from from uh, or uh, excuse me Arizona wanted more from Buffalo than what Ottawa ended up giving them whatever I am getting to the point where I go back to the the point I made earlier about just like winning kind of being the thing that fixes a lot for you I feel like I'm getting to the point now that or I'm approaching the point I should say that if you got to overpay to make a big splash, then like go do it. I mean, I think you can look at any of these recent moves that have been made, whether it's Chekrin, I think Timo Meyer is a great example too, where we're thinking that like the price is going to be astronomical for these guys. And it ends up really being pretty reasonable, all things considered. If Adams is in a position where, yes, you have to maybe give up a little bit more than like a, a competitor team that's going after a guy. Isn't it kind of at the, the point now, though, where it's like you need to stop walking away from the table and just do what you need to do to get the job done to put yourself over the top right now? Because the sooner that you do that and you become this winning team that has this respect and, you know, the notoriety, whatever, then that in turn makes it easier for like what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, where you are able to go out and get some of these depth pieces for for cheaper deals or guys who maybe, you know, had a bad experience with their last team. They go into free agency and they want to go to a, an established competitor and boom, that gives you a leg up there. Like, I guess what I'm getting at, what I want to ask your, your thoughts on Taylor is like, where is your patience at with this? And do you think that given what's at stake this coming season and really just over these next couple of years and the Sabres very firmly entering into this, this competitive window that, Adams at some point just needs to bite the bullet and be like, fine, I'm going to overpay if it means that I get to get my guy. Well, I hope so, because I think that's the big advantage of having a bunch of prospects and having all your picks is like, we can afford to give more than someone else would. And not that you want to crazy overpay because, you know, through the years, there's a lot of moves you're going to want to make. But yeah, I look at the recent ones and it's, I think where I come down as it'd be really nice if we could have got the team of Meyer one done. It's not the biggest necessity and it, it would, we'd have a lot of money committed to forward, but I think maybe that's a, it would be kind of a quick way to maybe compete for a cup is having someone like team of Meyer Chikrin. I got to say, I'm going to go on it early bullet dodged. I wouldn't want to give up anyone that they were talking about for him. And he's, he misses 20 games every year. He's, Probably a second pairing guy on a good cup, which which is what which what you need. You need a second pairing guy. Lots to give up for a second pairing guy who eats a raw meat diet. I don't think he's going to age well. He seems really stupid. And I got to say, I don't trust or respect anyone that does a raw meat diet. I did not know before that. Before we even look into wow. it. Because that's insane. And I found that out after he went to Ottawa. I stupid. did not know that was a thing. That is extremely concerning. And I wish I had known that previously. I will say with Chekrin too, I know that we were talking that the initial conversation was like, oh, Kulik or Savoy. We obviously don't know the validity to that or whatever. But like, I, you know, of course, in no scenario do I want to trade those guys or anything like that. But the fact remains, though, that you have, again, all of these prospects sitting there. You have all of these picks. You have upcoming picks sitting there. 
And for one, there's just the reality that you're not going to be able to ice all of these guys at the same time, you know, three, yeah. four or five years from now. Like they are not going to all be able to be on the Sabres together. And that is seemingly when they all will be ready within that next kind of three, four or five years, whatever. But I just I'm in this place now that. I'm just tired of, I guess, excuses for that, for him not doing anything. Like, I, I don't, th- and again, there's a lot of time still. I want to be clear that I'm not saying, well, everybody, we got to wave the white flag. The off season's over. That's it. This is going to be the roster we're going in with because we know that's not going to be the case. We know some defensemen are going to get moved. We think potentially Victor Olofsson is going to get moved. And who knows? There could be a, be- a bigger move out there that's just kind of waiting to happen. But that just kind of, uh, you know, that talking point, I feel like I we hear more and more. Well, it's like, oh, well, we don't know what he tried or this or that or what he went after. And again, I'm just at the point that like that's really cannot be an excuse like that just isn't something that that's not a philosophy that I think that this team or the fan base for that matter should subscribe to. I think that it has to be. No, you do what you got to do to get the job done. Like, go get your guy. If you have to overpay a little bit. Who cares? Because you're going to have Timo Meyer or you're going to have whoever this like big piece is, some, you know, along those lines. Jack Quinn is out for six months and we ha- we don't know what's going to happen there. You, you you can't expect that it's just like Kulik or Savoy or Rosine that these guys are going to, or Olofsson is just going to be able to step up and, and replace that. Guys, of course, can come up and Lance made a great point when he was on a few weeks ago that like, yeah, the NHL can be a development league. Like guys can develop when they get there. Like young players can come into the NHL, play, get better, what have you. Yes. But Jack Quinn's wing spot is an extremely important spot and Quinn plays a big role on this team. And I think anything short of them going out and making an external addition and going out and getting a guy to fit into that spot while he's gone for six months is just an excuse that I'm not willing to stand by and just like, listen to, I I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, it should be said that he's not, we're not, not playing hockey for three and a half of those months. Yeah, I know that. But so, it's, like, that's what though? Like forty games? It could be. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't count exactly, but I, it could be half the season. Yeah, but I, I think that just. I think we talked about this, but it just ends up being a tough thing where it's like you get this replacement, and what do you do in January? He could be back as early as mid December, and they think they their target is like the new year. So, what do you do then with this guy you added? I guess I just I wonder what kind of move down that the is. lineup and. Put Jordan Greenway in the press box. Well, that's a possibility, depending on how Greenway does. But yeah, I just wonder if they uh, if they just think of that as something they since they do have so many prospects that are close to NHL ready, they could try. But it's also going to be a tough thing. What if you put Lucas Rusek in there and then he's like actually good? Good problem. Are you going to send him down after that? Yeah, like good problem to have though. Yeah, it is a good problem to have in that case, but but uh, a very unrealistic one that you would expect a guy who is a, a mid late around pick. I forgot where he was, and obviously he's shown some promise at the AHL level. But again, to think that he's just going to be able to step into a second line right wing spot and be able to produce like that or, or wherever, if it's on the third line, what have you, that's it's just unrealistic. And that's yeah. kind of my thought with all of this stuff is like you have to be real about where you're at and and your expectations and the expectations for this year are playoffs and and where we're at is in our playoff window. Like you are in your contention window right now. There's no more like, I mean, obviously guys individually are going to develop and get better, but this isn't 
23-24 is not a development season like the past two seasons have been. Like Your job now is to go out and win as many games as you can and make the playoffs or the season's a failure. Yeah, absolutely. And not addressing and, and not addressing that in the forward group. Same thing with making the moves on D, which I'm happy about. I like both of those moves. But anything short of making the playoffs is a failure. And the moves that you're making now and what you are doing now to lead up into the season is going to directly correlate with that. I agree. Yeah. And I think I, I wonder what this means for the potential Olsen trade because Olsen's not a replacement for Jack Quinn. If that's no. their idea that they'll just put Olsen in that spot, that's not a good idea. So I think they need to give serious consideration to maybe getting an NHL level forward back in an Olsen trade. Maybe that's something they could do. I mean, uh, Olsen and Yoki Haru going one way and you're bringing another guy back who's able to play in the middle six or something like that. Or you can throw in like a second or a third, whatever. Like, that's kind of what I mean is like, yeah, if you got to give up an extra third round pick or a second round pick where the likelihood of these guys making the NHL is like less than 15% or whatever. Like, what are we doing? What are we holding on to this stuff for? Yeah. I mean, yeah. At that point when you're, especially if you're talking drafts years from now, I mean, I think you might want the picks for future trades, but giving up a third or a second, like that's kind of whatever. You just you have so many tradable prospects at the moment that could be part of those trades. Like you you don't want to trade Savoy and Kulik. You still have Osland, Rosine, Rusek, Boltapov, Kisikov. Uh guys they took this year that I don't we don't even know what they're gonna look like in their draft plus one year yet. Not Benson, but other guys. Mm-hmm. So it's uh it's something to to think about for Kevin Adams. Like you, you have too many picks and prospects right now. And unless you're planning on a lot of them failing, which you should only be planning on some of them failing, ideally, uh, this is not something that's really sustainable in the long term. Like you have to do something. I don't I think I guess we'll have to see. It, it's not that it's early because it's he's been the GM for three years and things have gotten consistently better. But I think what he does next and the next steps are very important. And I would say the big thing this offseason, goaltending, like. I don't, I don't like the answer so far, as we've said. And their upgrades at defense have been kind of marginal. They haven't done anything to the forward group. Uh, I like the guys they brought back, but they haven't really done anything to get better. And if you want to say their forward group is good enough, maybe. But I don't that's not really still any, I mean, they, he obviously made changes at defense. They haven't and, made an impactful change to the lineup since the Eichel trade. True or false? Uh true right that's two years ago or signing levi i mean come on that does are we really going to count that well uh i guess not i mean i don't know like an alex someone coming in from the outside yeah yeah i don't know stillman and greenway are pretty meh i don't know i guess we'll see how impactful clifton is yeah yeah it's not good i mean Especially if things start going like, let's say they go well this year in spite of the goaltending and and they're good and in a playoff spot. And, you know, they're fighting with other good uh, Atlantic Division teams who are all three that have been at the top and four, if you want to include Florida, uh, are incentivized to keep being good because they got it because this is like their last shot and they don't have any picks coming up or anything like that. And their their cap situation stuff, they're all going to be incentivized to be good this year. And Detroit and Ottawa. I don't, I'm not, I'm taking Ottawa out of that sentence. Forget Ottawa for a second. I think they're going to suck. Detroit is obviously going for it in their own way. They're not going to be bad at the very least. So 
if you're if you're halfway through the year and you're fighting with all those teams and you have a real look at the playoffs, then I think you really have to make like some kind of impactful trade. I don't know what for what position. I guess we'll see where things go, but maybe we can wait around for that and, and get someone to actually replace Jack Quinn. I mean, we have time. We have like ninety days until the opener, so you know it's yeah, uh, there's, time. there's time something to consider. There's time, but like they can't just be sitting on their hands. They 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 got to do this. And we talked about it about a month ago. The idea of well, now that Quinn is hurt, do they like you had mentioned? Do they? put Olofsson in that spot, hope that he racks up some goals and that you can get some value for him, maybe higher value like mid season after a guy goes down for a team or a team realizes like a contender realizes that they have a hole. So I feel like that is a very real possibility taking out of the equation, how smart or dumb you think that may be. I think that's something that we probably should brace for. Yeah. I would say yeah. you want to hear a word we, from our uh, sponsors. That's what I was going to say. That was so cute. Wow. Look at us. All right. First sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. But just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please pay responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling at 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age will vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet, $50. 10-plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. All right, and folks, Thin Man Brewery got an interesting collaboration coming up with Von Trapp Brewing, which is located in Stowe, Vermont. Vermont, people say, is the craft beer capital of the of America. At least I've heard people say that. I have not heard that. Good for Vermont. Yeah, I was there a couple of years ago. They really do have a lot of cool stuff there. And this is one of them, one of the big ones, uh, Von Trapp Brewing. And this is going to be announced. You got to stay tuned, folks. Friday, July 14th. That's this Friday. There's an announcement of a beer coming, a collaboration between Thin Man and Von Schrapp Brewing. So that's something to check out. Anything else to add, Brandon? Love Thin Man. Like we always say, food, drinks, great place to hang out. Make sure you're going and checking out Thin Man. Follow them online on social media too. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find them and head to their website, thinmanbrewery.com for more information. Yeah, great people. Great people. Um, yeah, and always, you know, I recommend if even at the stores you can find this, you don't have to go in. Minky Boodle, Pills Mafia, Bill season's coming up sooner than you think. Mm-hmm. So it's almost time probably to stock up on Pills Mafia because training camp is like less than three weeks away. So very close, very yeah. exciting, good stuff. All right, so just getting back to it, the burn cat trade. We want to talk about that real quick because that matters for us. Yeah, we should, we should. Because yeah, Ottawa, man. They really screwed up. They fumbled the bag, folks. Yeah, it was a really just brutal handling of an asset by Ottawa there. So 
the trade itself, Detroit receives Alex DeBrincat. Ottawa receives Dominic Kubalik, Donovan Sabrango, a 2024 conditional first, and a 2024 fourth-round pick. Not ideal. Ottawa, <laughs> for one year of Alex DeBrincat, just, again, completely fumbles this, is not able to sign him to a long-term extension. Really didn't seem like it was much of a fit there to begin with, and now DeBrincat ends up getting to go to where he wants to, which is the Detroit Red Wings, signing a very team-friendly deal, I might add, too, for the Red Wings for only four years. So good little piece of work by Detroit there. Not great for Alex DeBrincat and not great for the Ottawa Senators. So, Taylor, what are your thoughts on this trade? Man, it is. It's a weird. It's weird for Debrinka too. The contract he's taking. It's it's going to leave him free agency when he's kind of old to sign an eight year deal. So I don't know. I mean, I think in this case, if I was him, I would take a one year, one or two year deal. Wait till the cap goes up, maybe get more money. He's betting on himself in a really weird way. Like I'm super going to be worth signing as a a scoring first guy when I'm like 29 or whatever. I don't know. Strange, but yeah. good for Detroit. This is this is actually a good move. Like they need someone. This is, would you say this is kind of a Bertuzzi replacement? Not same skill set, but like production wise? Yeah, I mean, DeBrincat at his best is a significantly better scorer than Bertuzzi is. So I, I would definitely say it's a, a good move for them and helps bolster that top six. Yeah, the play with Larkin, I assume. So that'll be, that'll be a, you know, that's that's a decent top punch for Detroit. Still think the Sabres are ahead of Detroit and all that. But did, did I see this? Did, did Detroit get Alex Lyon? They did. Man, did they really do that a third offseason in a row? This 28-year-old goalie got really hot for a little while. I wonder if that's real. <laughs> Is that their whole strategy? Because they also have Reimer, I think, now. But, like, yeah, I mean, Nettle, Jokic, Huso, and Lyon, they should just run with those guys. One of them's got to be hot at one point. You're not wrong. I know. I know. I, I think it was a two-way deal, though, that they signed Lyon to. I don't think it was an NHL deal. No, I agree, because I think it's – I think Reimer and Huso are their two NHL guys. Right. Interesting. Well, and I also, I guess, you know, Dabrinka didn't want to play in Ottawa. He just really, really missed the Great Lakes. And even though Ottawa's not that far from Lake Ontario, it's a little too far. He insists on playing in a city that's on a Great Lake. Absolutely, as he should, as should every NHL player. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, that's an interesting move. I mean, it is. I guess it's kind of the cautionary tale with going for someone. You got to actually be sure they do want to play for you. Uh, but I think most of the time in in the history of the NHL is guys will be willing to sign with you. Mm-hmm. But it's always something you could check on before. I, I don't know how much they checked on checked on it with Debrinket. It didn't seem like they did because it didn't seem like there was any point where Debrinket was like, I really want to sign long term here in Ottawa. So, no, definitely did not get that impression either, like at all. <laughs> Well, do you have any, any other thoughts that you would like to share there, Taylor? I don't know. Do you have any recommendations for the people? Hmm. I'm halfway through season two of the bear. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to finish it up tonight. Obviously we did that last week. I'm going to be seeing uh asteroid city this week. So hopefully that'll be a soon to be recommendation, even though I know you've already done both of those. Uh, let's see. Actually, yeah, let me do something different. I feel like I haven't done a music recommendation in a while, and I'm going to Lollapalooza 
next month in the beginning of August. Very, very excited for that. And so I started to do some research into the lineup a little bit and more of the down the lineup artists, uh, aside from obviously like the, the bigger headliners and some of the other like more well-known artists. Came across a really, really cool soul R&B band called The Sacred Souls. Uh, they, it's, it's good stuff. Like if you're into R&B music, very like catchy melodies, very, uh, you know, kind of happy sounding, like brings you back. It brings you back to like, uh, like original kind of Motown kind of feel to a lot of their music. Um, I think that, I don't think they only have put out one album and they just put out a new single this year, but they put out their first album, I believe last year in 2022, there's, it was a self-titled album, um yeah it's really interesting stuff i i'd highly recommend checking them out the sacred souls they're called uh and if you want a track to check out check out the new single running away i really like that one a lot so that is my recommendation what do you got taylor i don't know if i have a real recommendation because i i'm really backed up on movies and i i have a bachelor party this weekend for my brother so i'm not gonna be able to go to the movies this weekend but i do have coming up i have tickets now for barbie and oppenheimer next oh, week thursday very... and friday Love that. So that'll be fun. And then uh I didn't oh I didn't realize Killers of the Flower Moon came out in October. Never mind, that's not what coming up. So but also in summer, like Indiana Jones came out. I haven't seen that yet. Mm-hmm. People just say it's just okay, which is an improvement on the fourth one, I guess. Gotta see that. And then I didn't even realize the new Insidious movie came out. So I definitely gotta see that. Uh but if I got had to do a recommendation, I would say uh another movie that I'm gonna see, I'm been catching up on it, and if anyone has Paramount Plus. I've wondered why I have Paramount Plus for multiple years now. I buy it to watch the Tottenham Hotspur play in Europe and mostly lose and disappoint me. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, wow, it's uh, January. <laughs> I'm not going to see another one of these games until October. What am I going to do with Paramount Plus? So unless you really want to watch old Nickelodeon shows, which is fine with me if you do. But they do have movies on there, and I hadn't really considered that. Like, yeah, Paramount's a movie studio. Why am I not looking at the movies on there? They have every Mission Impossible movie, and I'd never seen any of them until last week. Uh, now I've seen the first four because the seventh one is coming out in theaters uh, next week. Or How do you the like this them? Week, I like them. Yeah, the second one isn't very good. The first one, older than I thought, is 1996. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's great. The first one's great. Three and four are pretty good. People say, like, five and six are even better action-wise. The second one's okay. Uh, but I like that they all have, uh, until recently, they all have different directors. Oh, okay, cool. It's an interesting thing. There's always like a different kind of old guy in there is like a, because it's, it's like a fictional uh, agency called IMF that's pretty much the CIA, kind of. And uh, they always have like a different boss that Tom Cruise has, and it's always a really cool actor. Which I appreciate. Okay, some of them are nice. good, some aren't. Like Lawrence Fishburne's in it. Uh, ton of uh, honestly, I'm, I'm forgetting. Oh, John Voight's one of them, which is really cool. Yeah, it's so. There, and there's a bunch of cool co-stars. Uh, Ving Rhames and Simon Pegger in a lot of the movies. So I'm excited. And then you know the new one's gonna come out, and I'm gonna see what kind of peril Tom Cruise put himself in uh, for my entertainment. I'm going to have to check those out because I also have not seen any of them. I don't know if I'm telling on myself there, but I probably should do that. Yeah. Like I said, the first one will get you hooked because it's actually incredible. Okay, cool. Good to know. All right. Well, unless you have any other thoughts, Taylor, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode of Straight Up Sabres. So anything else you'd like to add at all before we say goodbye? Uh, No. Good. 
All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and make sure you are following them online as well. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And before you close out of whatever app you're using to listen to this episode, make sure you are subscribed and or following us and leave us a nice little rating or review as we'd very, very much appreciate it. Last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsors, DraftKings. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And Thin Man Brewery, make sure you're stopping in, drinking some beer, having some food, having the best time. You will not regret it, folks. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sabres.